I uh, think we'll just go on and get started. I don't see anything else. So Galatians chapter 5, if you will. Galatians chapter 5. Today is the 4th of July. And uh, today and, and really the, in the recent uh, year, uh, you know, you have COVID and all that. So you had to shut down 2020, 2021. I was watching uh, soccer, the Euro 2020, and I'm like, it's 21. And they're like, yeah, well, that's because they took the year off. So they just left the name because that's when it's supposed to be and all this stuff. But everybody's talking about freedom and liberty. And uh, there's an interesting thing when you come to Scripture about freedom and about liberty. And really today's message is called the God of Freedom because freedom was originated and was a, was a, was the plan of the wisdom of God. God had the, the idea of freedom, of choice, of being able to uh, make decisions. Uh, we call it volition. In Scripture, it's also called free will. And when you talk about things like that, you're, 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 you're looking at an issue where you've got two choices placed in front of you. And God did this. He, he established this before the foundation of the world and, and, and then implemented it into it. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Again, the doctrine of the passage, I'm not, I just want you to see that we are to stand fast in liberty wherewith, we, wherewith Christ hath made us free. So if we have liberty and we have freedom, if you come back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, that's a wonderful concept when you think about liberty and you think about freedom. And the 4th of July, obviously, they go back to 1776 and the Declaration of Independence and so forth and being being the declaration to be independent of, of England and the tyranny of the king and all that stuff. But when you come into Scripture, the, the, the 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 9, we have liberty, we have freedom. And Paul warns us, but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. See, there's liberty and it really begins to start here, and Paul begins to talk with you in 1 Corinthians 8 and in 9. If you look at chapter 9 and verse 1, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Come over to verse 19, uh, 919, for though I be free from all. When you talk about freedom and you talk about liberty, you're talking about the ability to make a choice. And that means that you have two thing, two opposites on the table. You have A and you have B. You have good and you have evil. Isaiah 5 over there, he talks about uh, warning to Israel about those who call good evil and evil good. And those are literally the two choices. If you come back there to Galatians 5, I didn't read this verse um, and verse 13, about the use of our liberty. So we have liberty. We have freedom in who we are in Christ. We have a choice. We can use our liberty in one manner, or we can come over and use our liberty in another manner. 5.13 lays that out. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh. There would be, that's B, the flesh. But do what? 
You don't use your liberty for the flesh, but by love, use it to serve one another. How are you going to do that? By love, that motivation, understanding what's going on, that appreciation for who you are in Christ, the love of Christ constrains us. Not, by the way, by love, it's not because, you know, huggy, huggy, brotherly love type stuff. It's talking about a mental attitude of Philippians 1 verse 9, being able to evaluate things that are more excellent. Let's go do that. And that's what he's talking about. So you and I, we understand kind of the freedom that we have. And not just in a national manner, but a spiritual manner. You know, if you could choose to sow to the flesh, you're going to reap what? Galatians 6. Corruption. But if you choose to sow to the flesh and by love serve one another, you're going to reap life everlasting. There's going to be an eternal benefit. So when you think about when, this morning with freedom, come back to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. There's something in creation that begins to deal with and to establish the issue of freedom, volition, liberty, the ability to make a choice. Look at Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, that ends all the discussion between creation and evolution. There should be never any more arguing other than that. In the beginning, what? God created the heaven and the earth. It's done. In, in the beginning, God, what? Created. First five words of the Bible. Set issue, done. Now, all the arguing about evolution and creation, that gets off in the, in the, in the stuff of unbelief, if you will. Even, even science-worshiping Christians get off into stuff that it just no. What does Scripture say? In the beginning, God did what? He created heaven and earth. And when we study that out, which we will when we, in a month, when we come back in August, and you begin to understand what God did in creation, and what he's doing here in, chapter, in verse 1 is he's creating this governmental structure. But watch verse 2. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So if the earth was without form and void, that term is used only one other time in Jeremiah 4, and it's about judgment. In Jeremiah 4, the context is his second coming, and it's without form and void, and it's judgment. So a judgment took place. And when the judgment took place, now there's darkness into it. When he creates... There's light, liberty over in Job. We're not on the time this morning to go look at all that. But in Job, he says the, when he's creating the sons of God in the morning, star, they rejoice and sing. But now there's darkness. So what do we have? We have two things now on the scene. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, light comes in. And when you put light in darkness, now you can do what? See what's going on. And he says, here's light. But that issue about darkness, come, come over with me to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. There, there's something here about the darkness. Uh, you, you got Ezekiel 28. Run real quick to Job 1. Uh, John 1. I'm sorry, John 1. When, when we're talking about liberty and freedom, there's something going on here in the very beginning that we have to catch, and that we have to grasp. Look at John 1, if you will. Verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
and all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it, what? Not. Isn't that interesting? So the darkness in Genesis 1-2 isn't just the lights being turned out. The darkness is an issue of spiritual darkness, spiritual wickedness. And it comprehended it not. It's not able to comprehend what's going on. Now go to Ezekiel 28. In Ezekiel 28, we begin to gain some insight here of what is happening in, between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. To put the earth without form and void in a judgment situation, something had had to have happened. It's called a rebellion, the, the fall of Satan, the fall of Lucifer, different things like that is called. Ezekiel 28, look at verse 11. Ezekiel 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He's going to talk to, uh, he's taking, God's talking through Ezekiel. He takes Ezekiel. He, by the way, he, he calls Ezekiel son of man. He does not call him the son of man. Because the son of man is who? That's the Lord. Here he's just called, Ezekiel, that's how I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to call you son of man. Off you go. And you're going to go talk to the king of Tyrus. Now, he's really not talking to the king himself. He's talking to Satan behind the king, the guy pulling the strings. You know how in, in the politics, everybody, who's really pulling the strings and doing this and that? Well, here's the real dude. Here's the dude that's even pulling the mess today. Here he is, verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden and uh, the garden of God. Well, who was in the garden of Eden? Well, Adam and Eve are, the Lord Jesus Christ is, actually the Godhead is, but also there's Lucifer, Satan, the serpent. So he's really just talking about, he's talking to the serpent. He's talking to Satan. And he's going to describe him. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis and topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and the gold, the workmanship of thy taberns and thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Please remember, Satan is a cherub. He's a created being. He's not omnipresent. He's not God. Now, he's the God of the world. As far as little g goes, he's not a big g, okay? He, he's not an OG, as they would say. He, he's a, he's a, he, he is a created being in the description there. He's a walking musical instrument. He's designed to lead the creation in uh, worship of the Godhead. Verse 14, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walkest up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect... In thy ways, from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the way, notice in 14 and 15 in these passages, all of this is past tense. So what Ezekiel is doing here is he's repeating stuff that happened back in Genesis 1. He's not giving anything new. There, there's a move back to 
who, what, the original situation. But he was perfect, verse 15, till something happened, till iniquity was found in him. That word iniquity, everybody gets on that word and tries to figure out what iniquity is. But the word iniquity is always used in reference to Satan and his policy and plan of evil. Hold on here, come over to 2 Thessalonians chapter number uh, 2. 2 Thessalonians 2. It's fascinating when you think about and you kind of study out iniquity. It's a special term in Scripture, and it's, and it's specially referencing to the satanic plan and rebellion that took place. 2 Corinthians 2, if you look there, I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2, I'm sorry. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. You see that mystery of iniquity? And everybody goes, well, what's that all about? Well, it's called the iniquity has taken on a mystery form. That's what he's talking about. Mystery Babylon, Revelation 17, the name given to the religious system that the Antichrist is right. But the whole passage from verse 3 down to verse 12 is about the Antichrist and the rebellion and what's right in the middle of it, iniquity. So when you come back to Ezekiel 28, so iniquity is, is having to do with Satan's rebellion and that plan of rebellion. Now, Ezekiel 28, verse 15, till iniquity was found in thee. Well, what was found in him? Pride was. Uh, you were there in Thessalonians. 1 Timothy 3, Paul says, pride's what got him. But look at verse 2. Look at Ezekiel 28, 2. Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus, thou, thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God, in the midst of the seas, yet thou art a man, and not God, though thou set thine heart as the heart of God. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. Isn't it fascinating that God kept a secret? 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8. They kept a secret. If the gods of this world had known about the secret, the meaning of Calvary, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. The secret, keeping a secret is what did his end. But look, if you will, here at verse 15 again, he was perfect until what happened? Iniquity was found in him. By the way, that thing there in verse 2, that's Isaiah 14. I am a God. I sit in the seat of God. If you flip back there to Isaiah 14, here's the original thinking of the adversary. Isaiah 14 Starts there in verse number 12. Here's his plan. Isaiah 14, verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakenest the nations? Weaken the nations. What's weakened the nations? The satanic plan of rebellion. He says here, verse 13, For thou hast said in thy, where? Heart. This is a heart issue. This isn't a, eh, it's a, he's thought this through. I will. He's, he's, this is a decision of his will. He's looked at it. He's thought it through. I will 
ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will send above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Look, he goes, I want to be like the most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. I want to be him. I want to, I want to cause creation to leave God, to come and follow me. So he's got a plan of iniquity. He's got a plan of rebellion. And he comes along and he, come back to Ezekiel 28. He, he comes along and he says, hey, I got to, think about what he did with Eve. I think about Eve. Paul over there talks about the subtlety that he took Eve and the corrupting in the mind. He didn't move Eve anywhere. He just messed with her thinking. He just caused her to take her eye off of who she was in Christ. And it moved her just that one little tick. Instead of being high noon, she was 11.59. And when that happened, she left. She fell. And all he says is, hey, you see what God's doing over there? He doesn't want you to know something. I have the, I got the decoder ring. I can figure it out. I got something going on here. I'm going to, if you join me, I'll give you the code. And man, if you join me and I give you the code, then you know what? You will know good and evil. That's interesting. The Lord had told Adam and Eve to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan says, he just doesn't want you to be like him. So I'll give you, you join me, I give you the code, you'll be just like him knowing good and evil. And you know what the Lord says there later in chapter 3? He says, because they, have a, they know good and evil now, we have to keep them away from the tree of life or they won't die because they need to die now. I need to curse them. Actually, he's just cursed them and they need to die. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 28, Satan here. By the way, Isaiah 14 is a future event looking as Satan is going to be carried and cast off into the lake of fire. And as he's done that, Israel is mocking him, saying, Hey, remember back there when you said, I will be like... Look at what it's got you. You finish reading Isaiah 14 and the pits of hell and the sides of hell and all that stuff. There it is. Ezekiel 28 is the same way. It's a, it's a look back. The iniquity here. It was that the iniquity is introduced into... The situation. Verse 16, Ezekiel 28, 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. And thou hast sinned, therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the throne. I'm, I'm sorry, the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Think about him. He's got all that beauty. He's, he's over the cherub that covered. He's looking down. Revelation 4 describes the floor of the throne room as a sea of glass, a mirror, a looking glass. And he looks down and all he sees is his beauty. And he says, hey, I'm, pretty, I'm something special. He looks at creation who are responding to him, leading them in worship. And praise of the God of God. And he says, Hey, they're already on board. I just tweaked this a little bit and it's good to go. And you know what he does? He does that. He, he's got a merchandise. I got something to sell. Knock on the door the other day, and a gentleman's standing there and he's trying to sell me solar. And I'm like, Solar what? And he's like, Solar panels. I'm like, I don't need no panels. 
I got a roof. I was messing with him. And, you know, and then I asked him if he saw the no solicitation sign, and that really set him off. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm like, ah. big words right there, you know. What's he got? He got merchandise. He wants to do what? Sell you. We got Black Friday, Happy Monday, Sad Thursday, all these days to get you to do what? Buy stuff. And what are they trying to create? Traffic on their websites. What's he doing? Verse 18 or verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all that behold thee. Boy, think about that. Here's Satan, Lucifer. He gets an idea that, hey, I can do this, and I can usurp God's authority in the earth. I can cause the creature to worship the, cre uh, the, the creation, to worship the creature more than the creator. I can do this. I got a, it's called the lie program, Romans 1.25, and he turned the truth of God into a lie, and I can get this to happen, and I can come over here, and I can cause this, and he goes, I got, a, I got something to sell. It's called information. It's called a new way of thinking. It's a new wisdom idea, and I'm going to come over here, and I'm going to sell it. I'm going to traffic it. And you know what God does? God reaches in, in verse 18, Therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. And in Matthew 25, 41, you know what he created? Hell for the devil and his angels. That's the fire in the midst of thee right there. He reached down. There's a rebellion. Satan doesn't have to worry about earth. It ain't there yet. Man's not there yet. He reaches into that angelic realm. He takes a third of the angelic host, Revelation says. I'll be honest with you. I think it's a little more than that. I think he got I, personal opinion. You can agree, disagree. I don't care. You can be wrong. That the a third is a reference to the hierarchy. Because he took all, Gabriel says that there's only me and Michael left. And if you think in the number of 12... You know, you do some math and subtract by eight and add by five. You, you, you know, you think of, he took them all. Because who, who, do who does everybody follow? The leaders. He gets that whole upper echelon except for Michael and Gabriel. And then the rest of them are going to fall until God does what? I'm going to create hell. And in the creation of hell, he's out selling the thing. He's out merchandising. And God, God he lets it happen. He lets it go. He lays it there, and he just stops. He steps in and creates hell, the lake of fire, and it stops it. It was so awful to the angelic realm that it stopped it. It was so startling. Can, I mean, think about that. Here you think life's good, everything's trucking along, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's the lake of fire. Woo, what is that? Don't touch it. It'll burn you. And God does that, and you know it stops the rebellion in the heavenly host. And it comes along, and it creates a situation now in creation 
That was never there before. And God allowed it. And God said, we're going to let this happen because my creation is going to have to to make a choice. When it's only good, when Adam and Eve, come back there to Genesis uh, 3 or Genesis 2. Think about this. God loves freedom, but with freedom comes risk, and with freedom comes responsibility. And he's, he sits there, and he's created man. He's going to give man a job. Gen- uh, Genesis 1, did I tell you that? Uh, I hope. Genesis 1, verse number uh, 28. God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. What are you going to do? You're going to come along, you're going to get married, you're going to have a bunch of kids, your kids are going to have more kids, and we're going to populate this thing, but you're going to have dominion over it, and you're going to have, you're going to subdue it. Why would Adam have to subdue it? Because there's evil, there's iniquity involved now. There's something going on out over here that God has allowed. He let it happen. He stops it, though, with hell, the creation of hell. And he says, okay, I'm not removing that. Because now I want to make, I want to have, I want creation to have a choice. And who are they going to worship? Are they going to worship me and what I'm going to be doing? Or are they going to go to Lucifer and Satan and the adversary and the devil? Who are you going to serve? That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 over there talks about the wisdom of God. And the world by wisdom knew not God. And how the little weak things the wisdom of God took and defeated the wisdom of the world. God, you know, God could have just easily said, time out, do over, you're all done. And started over. He's God. But he didn't. He had a plan. Proverbs 3 calls it wisdom. He had a blueprint. He says, I got a job. I got a way we're going to do this. And even though Lucifer, Satan, is going to rebel, I got a plan to fix that. It started with Adam in the garden. If you look over in chapter 2, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest, what? Freely eat. See how freely? Freedom, liberty, choose. Adam could go out into that garden and say, you know what? Today seems like a peachy Tuesday. Let's have the peach. And then he gets down there to Friday, or well, Saturday would have been the day off. Friday, and he says, you know what? Today sounds like a pomegranate day. Just a look. I don't know. I'm pomegranate. Whatever. Pick a fruit you don't like. Okay. What a lemon. There you go. Right? Bite into, Ricky had his little dog over, his puppy over the other day, yesterday, and she was sniffing the lemon tree. I said, she bites one of those lemon because they're green as green can be. She ain't going to ever bite another tree again. <laughs> you know? See, every tree out there, make a choice, Adam. Make a choice, Eve. You know, think about that. You, you, you take that peach tree. What do you make out of peaches? Pies. Cobbler. Ooh. You got a cow over here he's going to name, so now we're going to have a little milk. We can make some ice cream with peaches. 
You know, you come home and she's like, here, honey, here's a salad. And you go, he doesn't go, oh, salad again. <laughs> go, wow, 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 I love the way you added apples and pecans in it. Wow, look at that. That was great. See, you have all of this ability. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Isn't that interesting? God says, Adam, you got freedom, man. Go and choose and pick and do. But what did Adam pick? He picked wrong. He chose wrong. You've got God's wisdom and you've got the adversary's wisdom. He went the adversary's way. Come over to chapter 3. You know what? God didn't fall apart. God didn't miss a beat. God didn't say, oh no, what am I going to do? God says, that's okay. We saw this coming. So he looks down at Lucifer there in verse 15 and says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall, bru it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And he says, that's okay. Well, I got a seed that's going to come. And that seed begins to work down through. Come over to Colossians chapter 1. That seed begins to work down through. The seed of the woman becomes the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that begins to, Israel it shows up, and Israel is God's people, God's nation. And then that begins to work all itself down to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's all designed to establish, to reestablish the authority of God in the earth. And it's working its way through. We call it prophecy. Colossians chapter 1, God says, that's okay, I got a secret. I got a mystery. I'm going to keep it secret, but now I'm going to make it known. Verse 17, 117, well, 116. Yeah, 117. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things we, he might have the preeminence. I've got a plan that's going to, of reconciliation that's going to come along and it's going to thwart the rebellion in the earth. It's going to be Israel. Romans 16 verse 25, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. Now I've got a mystery pro plan that's going to thwart the deal up there in the heavenly places. I'm going to use the body, the church, the body, so that he can have preeminence in all things. Verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And, verse 20, Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. He's got a plan to reconcile it all back to himself. So he is the head. By the way, the all things are given. By him I say whether they be things in heaven or things in earth. Well, what things are those? Go back to verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. All things is that heaven and earth, visible, invisible. Then he lists governmental terminology that sits in the heavens, the invisible, and in the earth, the visible. So you and I can relate and say, listen, we're going to be seated together with him in the heavenly places. And that seat that we're going to have is in a governmental authority. Because who's going to run creation? We don't have the time this morning. God wants, is always wanted and has created creation to be adults running the show. Sons of God, they're called. He calls them. 
John chapter 1, verse 12, he says, or verse 11, he came into his own and his own received him not. And to them that received him, he gave them power to become sons of God. Government, boom, the authority, the adults. He looks over here at you and I, Romans chapter 8. We're heirs of God. We're what? We're sons of God. That's who we are, 814. By the way, the angels were also called sons of God. But those angelic hosts out there have fallen. In Job, he says the heavens are not perfect in his sight. It's actually in Psalms. He says, hey, I got a plan to bring it all back under his authority. Get it all back to Genesis 1-1. And how's he going to do that? He's going to, Ephesians 1-10, he's going to use Israel in the earth, and he's going to use the church, the body of Christ, in the heavenly places. Come over to Psalm, or Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. That's why you read verse like this, Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21. Philippians 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now watch, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue, what? All things unto himself. What are the all things? That governmental structure. By the way, notice it's subdue all things. That's exactly what he told Adam in Genesis 1 to do. You go out and subdue this. Subdue creation. We're going to get this glorified body. We're going to be resurrected. We're going to get, be given the capacity to function in the heavenly realm to bring the heavenly places back under his authority, back under his headship. And he says, you got a choice in the matter. You can either follow my plan or follow Satan's plan. Figure it out. So the question gets asked, why in the world then did God create Satan? Why did he create man? If he knew there was going to be a fall, and he know, if he knew there was going to be sin, because he had already developed the plan of reconciliation. It was already done. And because... Point number two, God wants his creation to have freedom of choice. He understood the risk that's in freedom. He understood the risk of having choice of good and choice of evil. He understood that risk. He understood that Adam could make the wrong choice. Think about what if Adam had looked at Eve when she, when she took of the fruit, and he had claimed Numbers 30 on her. Numbers 30 is the law that if the wife makes a vow, the husband can seek it to be disavowed. But he has to do it right away. No time can lag. As soon as he can go, do, run to the... What if Adam, when, here's Eve, she's eaten of the fruit, the grape. And Adam instantly said, Lord, we need your help down here right now because she done made a bad deal. What would have happened? We, uh, it would be a completely different scenario. 
But what did God know? The possibility is for Adam to say, thank you, I'll have some too. That's why in Timothy there he says Adam was, Adam, I just had it. Anyway, where are we at? You're in Philippians, right? God. Eve, Adam was not deceived. He was in the transgression, but he wasn't deceived. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Look over the issue today. Look, look, look to, with me at Ephesians 1. The reason why God didn't stop and redo everything, the reason he let it go, if you will, is because he wants creation to have freedom. He doesn't want robots. If he wanted a robot, he would have made an iBot and just been done with it. He wants, a ro he doesn't, he wants creation that's going to willingly genuinely participate in what he's doing and, try, and to accomplish. Not, a, if you, not in a robot way. But also, he had already had, you got Ephesians? Look, look with me to Revelation 13. He had already had the plan of reconciliation on the table. Revelation 13, and look at with me at verse number 8. Revelation 13, 8. He knew that freedom could be a problem. He knew the rebellion was there, but he had made a provision so if man does rebel, he can do what? Fix it. Look at Revelation 13, 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, notice, slain from the foundation of the world. In the mind of God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ had already agreed to go to the cross. The rebellion of Lucifer, the fall, didn't stop the plan of God. He had a pre-planned Answer. By the way, he knew that he could only trust himself. He knew that if God, God knew that if he gave create man a choice, man could make the wrong choice. So he says, I can only trust myself. So son, you got to go be a man. So what did God do? God the son became a man. And come to do for man what man couldn't do. Now go to Ephesians 1. Couldn't do for himself. Ephesians 1, verse 3, verse we are all familiar with. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, where? Before the foundation of the world. God had a plan, where? Before the, before the foundation of the world. Do you know what he said? There's going to be a group of people who are going to choose to trust God. In you, son, and your finished work at Calvary, and because of that choice that they make, I'm going to go do this. And he gives a whole list of stuff he's going to do. He had a plan. He understood what was going to happen. God accepted the risk of freedom. That's what he did. He said, I can do this. Man might do that. And guess what? I have, a, 
I have a plan if man goes the wrong way. And we're going to go do that. And when we do that, that allows creation to come in and to then participate willingly, genuinely, in what I'm doing. And if you look down at verse 10, what's he doing? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. He just told us what he's doing. I'm going to bring it all back under the headship of my son. I'm going to use two different agencies to do it, one for the earth, one for the heavenly places. And you know what? I'm going to give them, I'm going to reveal my will, and then I'm going to let them choose. I'm not going to micromanage them. I'm going to macro. I'm going to, here it is, I'm, I'm going to let you do it. And he says, you got my will? Now let's watch and see what you do with it. Moses looks at Israel, says, Israel, I set before you life and death. Choose life. What did Israel do? Chose death. God says, that's okay. Elijah, he's out there boohooing, thinking he's all alone. Lord reaches down, smacks him upside the head, says, hey, I got guys down in Egypt that haven't bowed the knee yet, so you're, you're not alone. Guys chose right. He comes over, 12 spies go into the land. They come back out. The two guys say, Jacob and Caleb say, nope, not Jacob. Joshua and Caleb say, no, we can go in and we can take it. And the other 10 says no. So they go with the 10 instead of, the, you know, instead of doing it. And God says, that's okay. All oh, you're going to die. A new generation will go in. That new generation goes, gets ready to go in. Joshua takes them in, defeats the enemies, liberates them. Gets to the end of his time, says, my generation has done it. God told you, you wipe them out, you do it. He, Joseph did it. I'm sorry, Joshua did it. And you know what happened? He says, my generation has done our part. And you know what the next generation did? They did everything but the little bit, and they kept the good. God says, that's not what I told you to do. Bam. What did Israel choose to do? Choose not to follow. God didn't wipe them off the earth. He just said, that's not what I wanted you to do. You and I are the same thing. What do I do with, what is his will today? All men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, right? That we would have a walk of faith and the love and the grace of God given to us. We just spent weeks looking at the spirit-filled life. That's what he would have us to do. Satan hates it. You know, stick another Needle in his eye, let's get on with it. And you know what happens? What do we choose? Do we choose A, to do it, or B, not to do it? What are the consequences? If I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to reap what? Life everlasting. If I sow to the flesh, what do I've got? Condemnation. Did I, I didn't lose anything. By the way, Israel never lost her standing with who she was as a nation to God. They're still his people. You and I never lose who we are in Christ. We're his people. But we lose out on some of the, Israel lost out on some of the benefits. Guess what? We lose the spiritual side of it. Not, not as a possession. Not in our standing. Just in our state. 
as they like to say. When you say that, when I talk this way, we were talking about this the other day at the men's fellowship, the issue of the sovereignty of God comes in. (laughs) When you talk about freedom, God loves freedom. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't say, here's your mapped life, now go live it. Oh, you messed up and, you know, got to reprogram you. He doesn't do that. He says, here's my revealed will. Here's my word. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Where did did the man of God grow up, mature, get equipped to all the stuff? It was through his word. The answer is in his word. He says, if you'll do it the way I would have you to do it, everything will be good. We'll work out. Let's go live how Christ would live in the moment. Let's live that way, and everything will work. And as soon as you start talking like that, then the issue of the sovereignty of God comes up. Go to Daniel 2. We're going to do this real quick. It's just something that's been on my mind. When you think about the sovereignty of God, now, that term is not in Scripture. It's a theological term. Sovereignty... Uh, is a governmental term. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's really when you say sovereignty of God, it's double talk, really, <laughs> because he is God. He is the top, <laughs> and you just said he's the top top. So when you think about sovereignty and you think about it, religion, Christendom out there, the denomination says God has a preordained before the foundation of the world life map for you, and you can't deviate from it. You have to stay on it. And then they use verses, really, a lot of them, and they just twist them all out of whack to get it to work. But look at Daniel 2. Look at what sovereignty in Scripture is. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has had a vision of all of the Gentile powers to come. Daniel is giving the interpretation, verse 37. Thou, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beast of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art the head of gold. He's the ruler over what? Them all. That's sovereignty in the Bible. Now watch verse 39. And after thee shall arise another kingdom, what's that word? Inferior to thee. Now the Medes and the Persians are the next ones. Nebuchadnezzar sees a vision. Daniel interprets the vision. And he says, Nebi, You are the head of gold. You're a king over them all. You rule everything. When you say goes, no matter what happens, when you do this, no matter what happens, there you are. And then the next set of guys that you saw, the Medes and the Persians, they're inferior to you. Now, look at Daniel 5 and notice their inferiority. 
to have an inferiority complex. Look at Daniel 5. In Daniel 5, you have the uh, handwriting on the wall. You have um, Nebuchadnezzar die. You've got Belshazzar taking, taking it on. Okay. Then you have verse uh, 30. In the night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Verse 17 and 18, Nebuchadnezzar dies. Chapter 6, you have Darius. Chapter 6, you have Daniel in the lion's den. Chapter 6 and verse 8. Now, O king, by the way, Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel liked to pray three times a day as he's supposed to. There's some guys that don't like Daniel, so what do they get Darius to do? Let's sign a decree that you can't do that. You have to worship the God, the, or, the original official religion of the kingdom. Can't do that, Daniel. You got to do this. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. They tricked Darius into this. Verse 15. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Now, O king, I'm sorry, yeah, now, know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persian is that no decree nor statue which the king established may be changed. What'd they do? They tricked him. He signed it in the law. Daniel goes and prays. They got Daniel thrown into jail. Darius is trying to figure a loophole. Guess what? There is no loophole. Can't be changed. He doesn't want to put Daniel in the lion's den. By the way, Daniel's like, don't worry about it. Me and Leo, we're good. It ain't going to hurt. He ain't going to mess with me. Darius had had a change in his thinking, but he couldn't change the law. That's an inferior setup to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was what? Eh, we ain't going to do it today. Change. You're on death row. You can wait another day. Nope, we're not going to do that. Set him free. Actually, Darius or Nebuchadnezzar had done that a couple times dealing with Daniel. He's ready to chop off the heads of his magicians and source and soothsayer and all those guys. And Daniel comes and goes, don't leave him alone. Nebuchadnezzar said, all right, you're off the hook. You can, think, you can throw Daniel a party later. What's going on? Darius couldn't do that. You see, Nebuchadnezzar made, can make a decision, do what he wanted to do. Darius couldn't. He couldn't change. Darius's sovereignty is the sovereignty of religion, denominationalism. Here's the roadmap that God put you on, and it can't be altered. It has to stay that same. Your job is to read the signposts and the stop signs and the yields and the goes and to figure it out, but it will never change. So when your car broke down, Rick, and the third time in the shop now, guess what? God, before the foundation of the world, preordained. No, the reason the goofy truck broke down is 200,000 miles, and it's a Chevy. Here, here. And they start breaking down after about 10 miles, you know, on the odometer. And you just, that's what it is. Duct tape and bailing wire. Here we go. 
hey, it's what common to man. God's sovereignty is that of Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to do that. Look over at Jeremiah. Fantastic uh, illustration of this. Look at Jeremiah 18. And I, now it's noon and it's time to quit. But you've got to look at this. We're talking about freedom and liberty. Jeremiah 18, you've got the potter's house and the clay. 18.6, O Israel, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Can, Israel, can't I do? Watch what this potter does. He makes a vessel and it's marred. What does he do? Oh, can't change it. Got to bake it. Got to use it. No, he crumbles that thing down and remakes it. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy? If that nation against whom I have pronounced Turn from their evil. I will repent of the evil that I ought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Notice, there's not a fixed decision there. God says, I lay out here the good, and that nation, man, goes over there and decides to do what I said to do. I can just pour my blessings out on them. And if I go and pour my blessings on these people and they don't do, then guess what? I can repent. I can change my mind about the good I was going to give them, and I can give them evil. I, can, I have flexibility. And what determines the response of God is the response of man. Think about Jonah and Nineveh. <laughs> Jonah knew that Nineveh would repent if he preached the word to him, so Jonah went the other way. I ain't going to go down there. He didn't like Nineveh. He hated them. So God says, that's fine. He'll jump in the whale's belly for a few days and die. Spit you back out up there and just figure it out. You're going to do what I told you you're going to do. So he goes in over there, and what does he do? He preaches the word because God had told Nineveh, you repent or I kill you. I destroy you. What did Nineveh do? They repented. <laughs> I think I would too. You see, when you think about sovereignty, look over at Luke. There's the other passage, Luke 10. I'll give you this one for free. The other ones I'm going to charge you for. Luke 10. You see, when you think about freedom and liberty, religion brings in this sovereignty nonsense. And in Scripture, uh-uh, the sovereignty of religion is inferior. That says nothing can change. It's set. I'm like, really? When you come to Scripture, it's not set. You know why? Because God loves freedom. He's the God of freedom. He wants creation to make a choice. But also knowing that if you make that choice, guess what? There's a responsibility in that choice. Unfortunately, in our day today, in our culture today, that responsibility aspect has been cast out, and you blame other people. Luke 10. You have Luke 10 here, verse 30. And Jesus answering said, okay, so who's talking? The Lord Jesus Christ is, right? 
Now, he's God. Could he, could he tell this story any way he wanted to tell it? I think he could. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, and were, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half for dead, half dead. And by the predetermined counsel and the foreknowledge of God before the foundation of the world, determined that a certain priest would come that way. Is that what that verse says? Oh, by chance. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. You know, by chance is a little different than predetermined before the counsel of the foreknowledge and the, before the foundation of the world. God the Son says, the one that knows the plan of the Father, who knows what's going on, says, by chance. That priest got up that morning and said, I got to go that way, and this is the quickest way with no, no traffic. So I'm going that way. And guess who was sitting on the side of the road? A guy down and is wounded. And you know what this guy did? He looked the other way. What a beautiful day. Whew. Sun shining, birds are whistling, and he just kept on trucking. God doesn't say, hey, before the Lord, Jesus Christ doesn't say what religion says. And the reason is, is because God loves freedom. Today's the 4th of July. Galatians 5, verse 1. Let's stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Don't be entangled with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back underneath that old religious system. Let's stand over here and be who we are. Let's have our faith resting in an intelligent understanding of the word of God to us. And that's what allows the spirit of God to take the power of his word and to strengthen you in your inner man and to build you up and to hold you where you need to be held and then compels you to then go live his life in your life. And it comes from, as Mel Gibson says in the movie Braveheart, freedom, freedom, okay? Because we know what God knows. God loves freedom. You have two choices. Now, you're in Christ. You have two choices. Live for him in the way he would have you to live, or you can Ephesians 4, 17 it and go live as you were living as a Gentile and then reap those spiritual consequences in Ephesians 4, 17, 18, and 19. I encourage you to live as who you are in Christ. Okay? So he's the God of freedom. And on today, what better topic to talk about? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the liberty and the freedom that we have in your Son to live our lives as who we are in the moment, in you. And what we would have that be our motivation, and we would have that be our, our compulsion, and that is to live by faith in who we are in you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you.